Christian can be quite down, downhearted, depressed, in darkness, spiritual darkness and spiritual desolation. Maybe also feel that tonight, as the curatorium could not accept young friends for the ministry. May, maybe there is anger. Maybe there is disappointment. Maybe there is sadness in the heart. I understand that. The disciples said that also through those times, those times of darkness. Think of Thomas. Think of the two men of Emmaus. They're also struggling. And the Lord Jesus spoke to them. And if the Lord Jesus would not have prepared them more, more, more their downhearted, their depression would have been even worse. But he prepared them. We also think of that upper room, right? The upper room in Jerusalem, where he taught the disciples, where he instituted the Lord's Supper, where he also told about the promises of the future. So let us look at those verses that he also is giving promises for after Pentecost. John 14, verses 12 through 17. John 14, 12 through 17. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So far. Promises for after Pentecost, with the help of the Lord. Three thoughts. The promise of greater things. Greater things. You see that in verse 12? Very, very, amen, amen, truly, truly. I said, he that believed on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than they shall he do. So the Lord Jesus told the disciples, for after Pentecost, that they will do greater things than the Lord Jesus himself. The promise. And the second promise is the promise of God answering prayer. Of course, the Lord is always answering prayer, but this is a special time. Verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. And also see the beginning of verse 16. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. And the third part, the promise of the indwelling spirit. The promise of the indwelling spirit. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The promises for after Pentecost. The promise of greater things. The promise of God answering prayer. And thirdly, the promise of the indwelling spirit. Congregation, the Lord Jesus is 
together with his disciples with the eleven. One has left already. Judas is not there. The Lord Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper, has been close to his disciples, and also prepares them, prepares them for the future. Because it will be hard. And he wants to encourage them. He wants to help them. He wants to comfort, to instruct them. So that they won't be overwhelmed over the great love of the Savior for his people. That he wants to uphold them. That he wants to support them. And the Lord Jesus begins in verse 12 with something very serious. Because it says two times, verily, verily. And we see that expression 25 times, actually, in the Gospel according to John. Verily, verily. This is so true. Keep it in mind. Don't forget. This is the work of the living God. Very, very, I say unto he that believeth on me, so the disciples in this case, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. That is something strange, isn't it? So does the Lord Jesus say that his disciples will imitate him, will do as special things as he did, that he also will perform miracles, or what? And even stronger. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. Christ has indeed done great things himself. He also healed so many people in so many different diseases. He performed those miracles as the Son of the living God. He also was willing to be crucified. And he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And our disciples doing the same things and even greater things. What could that possibly mean, you think? How can it ever be true? If I would have asked you before the service, do you think that God's people can do the same thing as Jesus did? You would probably hesitate. And if you say, can, you do, can God's people do greater things than Jesus did? You would say, of course not. Well, he did. He will do greater things, they will do greater things than he. Because I go to the Father. What it means is this. Let me try to give you some information and to some details. The Lord Jesus has been on earth for 33 years or so, and his public ministry was about three years. And after three years, he performed miracles, had crowds in front of him. He also fed them one day 5,000 without the, the, the women and the children, so maybe a crowd of 15,000 people, and he fed them bread and fish. So he did great things. But it was only for those three years. And now he's going away to his father. So he's saying to his disciples, you continue, and you stay on earth much longer than I have been on earth. Much longer you will continue to work, and the church of God will be established. That is, the Lord Jesus will. They will do greater things in the sense of it will take more years. And not only that, not only more years. Think of those 5,000 men and the crowd of 50,000. Compare that crowd to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. 15,000 fed, 3,000 converted. What is better? What is 
so much greater than that. That is a great thing. That the disciples preached the word of God and that many of them pricked in their hearts and said, men, brethren, what shall we do? That never happened to the Lord Jesus. He never spoke to such a crowd and never such a mass of people were converted. But after Pentecost, it's going to happen. They will do greater things than he does. And we also read further in Acts that multitudes came and 5,000 were converted. So the Lord Jesus, he spoke and he fed also with physical bread. But the disciples may be the instruments in the hands of God for the conversion of way more people. Much more people. So great things. More people involved. A much longer time. And also a larger area. The Lord Jesus only spoke in Israel. As far as I know, he did not cross the border. He stayed in the country. But after Pentecost, the disciples crossed the borders and they go to Europe and they go to other places because they will do greater things than the Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus thus began the work of salvation among Israel. Was this the start of the church? He did not continue. Yes, he continued in heaven, but he did not continue the same way. And he preached salvation to the Gentiles. The, 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 the disciples. They preached salvation to, 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 to the Gentiles. So that had not happened before either. Only Jonah did, right? Jonah preached to Nineveh. But the Lord Jesus did not do that. The disciples go to Ephesus and to Rome and to Athens. and They do greater things than the Lord Jesus did. So the Lord continued with what he read in Joel 2. And shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said. And in, Lord, and in, the, in, in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So we conclude that after Pentecost, a time begins in the church of much greater blessing. The Lord has spoken about it himself. Greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. That is the most special time ever. If you compare to the time of Adam to Abraham, or Abraham to Moses, or Moses to David, or David to the church, all those time periods are less blessing than this period of after Pentecost. That is just so special, those flames of fire on their head, speaking different languages, so many miracles, and that mighty wind noise, all directed to that thought. That he will do, that they will do greater things than he. The time period from Pentecost to the end of the world is called the latter days. It's called the time of mission. It's called the time of the millennium. It is the 1,000 year reign that we have entered, and we have the privilege of living in that time of that most blessed time ever, that the church is doing greater things than the Lord Jesus did in Israel. Right? So the Lord Jesus was comforting them. They would have a hard time. They would have been discouraged. And the Lord Jesus told them in this upper room, don't worry. It will only get better. For a while. 
Don't be so downhearted. I will be with you. And to the end of the earth, I will be with you. And he is blessing them. And he is telling them that he won't leave them, that he won't forsake them, that he will make sure that great works will be done. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you. Always, even unto the end of the world. See greater things. So you're asking, the time after Pentecost is more blessed than the time before? Yes. So you're asking that means we are more blessed than ever as mankind? Yes. So you say that means we are more responsible than, 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 than before? Absolutely. So it means it is more serious to yet die unconverted? Right. Let me explain that. You know about the amount of time the Lord Jesus spent in Capernaum. He did so many miracles. He spoke the word with authority. And they yet did not believe in him. Most of them did not. And Lord Jesus writes about that. I say unto you, it shall be more, more tolerable for Tired and sighed at the day of judgment then for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Right? So, Capernaum was more blessed than Tyre and Sidon, and therefore more responsible, and therefore also the consequences are more dire. You got it, right? But now, even more responsibility to us than to Capernaum. Capernaum was blessed. We are way more blessed than Capernaum is. We have a Bible. We have we are living in the time of the outpour of the Holy Spirit. We have to buy our own translations. God has been so close to us, so gracious to us. So it means more dungarantry, more blessings, more attention of the Lord. Constantly, it is so serious to yet remain unconverted and to love this world over the Lord and not serving him from the heart. The Lord Jesus spoke to Jerusalem, and now the words are even stronger. The Lord Jesus spoke these words, and when he was come near, he beheld the city. He looked at Jerusalem, and still at all the houses and the trees and the towers and the gates and the walls. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over them. He wept. Say, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto the peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. So the Lord Jesus was lamenting. The Lord Jesus was complaining. The Lord Jesus was crying. He wept. And greater things are happening in the New Testament after Pentecost. The Apostle Paul also weeps and has also, is also preaching the word of the living God to the people. So, responsibilities also for us. Capernaum has more responsibility 
than Terence Seidel, we have more responsibility than Capernaum because of those greater things. Those greater things, you also need to expect them. We need to also look forward to them, to also see them, and also hope upon them, and not ignore them, and also realize that the Lord is also teaching his people, teaching his people greater things than before. There are greater things even than we experience, than we have now. It means also that there is an, an increase in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greater things, greater things. Summarizing the first thought, Lord Jesus is encouraging his disciples before his death on first evening, Friday will die, on first evening he's encouraging his disciples that they should not be so downhearted because there are promises laid up for them and they will do greater things than he does. Second thought. More prayers will be answered. And you shall ask anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that you may abide with you forever. So the Lord Jesus is telling the disciples that they will ask, that they may ask, whatsoever they ask. Verse 14 also. If you shall ask, whatever it is. 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, I will give it to you. Really? Do you believe that? What does it mean? You can just ask this and this and more money, more wealth, more bigger business, bigger house, health, whatever you, whatever you just ask and you, and you will give it. Is that what it says? That is prosperity gospel. That is not biblical. So you have to balance this with all the text from the Bible and just try to find the details of that. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, in my name. So when you ask things, they should be worthy to be asked in his name. You should dare to bring them up in that, in that context, to the Lord's name. Children, what is that? Asking something of the Lord. That's, that's praying, minister. We pray, yes. When you pray, do you ask in his name? What do you mean? Do you say the end of the prayer, for Jesus' sake, amen? For Jesus' sake, amen? What does that mean, for Jesus' sake? You know? For Jesus' sake means, Lord, I don't deserve it, but he does. The Lord Jesus deserves it. Don't do it for me. Do it for him then. Lord, I cannot find anything good in me. No reasons in me to save me and to help me and to save me for. But save me then for Christ's sake, for his name's sake, because he paid the price. He was without sin. He was so good. He had no experience with sin. He knew no sin. But he was made to be sin, to make righteousness of God in him. So asking his name means realizing you can ask nothing in your own name. You don't even dare to pray something for yourself, for your own selfish reasons. Means to pray for, for the Lord's sake, for his glory. So whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. In my name, that is, that is a specific prayer. In his name. The Lord Jesus was encouraging his disciples. And he said he was going away and that they must pray for the kingdom of God and for the most important things, not for the selfish reasons, for the king's reasons. And he will hear them. 
praying in his name, praying for his glory. Let me also quote a few Bible verses about prayer. Balancing and including the most so in this second thought. Confess. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that he may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A righteous man, a child of the Lord, close to him, righteous in Christ, is praying so fervently, is praying so effectually, so with so much force, there's so much violence, there's so much expectation. They are using violence in a sense. The effectual fervent prayer of this right man availability so that this that is prayer for, for God's name, for his sake, not for yourself, for him, for his glory, that is effectual and is fervent, not casual, not something that you tuck in here and there and you say, Oh I forgot to pray, let's just quickly pray. No, this is a fervent prayer. This is a serious prayer. People taking time for that. So the Lord Jesus is asking the disciples to pray. To pray fervently. Think of the people of Amalek. Amalek in the desert. And they're attacking the army of Israel, the people of Israel from the back, in the tail. And they were dangerously close to win the war. And people were fighting her with the sword. And on that hill, I see Moses. See Moses standing with his staff, and he's lifting up his staff to the, to, to, to the sky. And he's holding up his staff. The Israelites are winning and strong. And he's tired to let his staff down, they lose. And Aaron and her help him, and they just uphold him. So the staff remains on high. In prayer, in prayer, Lord, help us. Lord, continue. Lord, do not forsake us. Lord, help us for thy own name's sake. For thy people is thy people. See? That's what we need also today. To lift up that staff and to have a prayerful life. To not cease with prayer. To continue steadfastly. Jeremiah 29. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. When you search me for me with all your heart, you will find me. That is an, an, an expression from Jeremiah 29. And so true, so true. You shall seek me and find me if you shall search me with all your heart. For Everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. And Matthew 21st, and all, and all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Make a long story short, the Lord Jesus asked his disciples, to pray, and he promises them to hear them so they may have the highest expectation of him. They may have hope and say, the times are dark, the situation is sad, we still lift up the star of Moses, and we have expectation from the, from the one on high. He will continue. He will not forsake the works of his own hands. He will finish the work he has begun. See, James 4, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, 
that may consume it upon your lusts. See? Expectation. For the right reason. For his name's sake, for his glory. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's connected. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is in verse 14. That is a repeat. See that? Verse 14, a repeat. Sometimes Lord Jesus repeat himself. Verily, verily, and again. You shall ask anything in my name. I will do it. I will do it. Such an emphasis on that. Expectation. I almost preached this evening on Act 3. I changed my mind. I thought this is more important. Maybe not the time. Let me just give you a piece of, the, of Act 3. <clears throat> was a man, children, paralyzed. Was born with special needs. He could not laugh. They lifted him up by their hands and brought him every day to the temple, to the temple gate, the beautiful gate. He was sitting with his hands open, asking for money, asking for alms. And people walked by and gave them. He had a very strategic place close to the temple, right? The people walked to the temple usually had money on them. They were religious, had a conscience, probably also felt some emotion and compassion. It was a very smart way to collect money close to the temple. And there... John and Peter came by. Let me read here. Whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go up into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, so they looked him straight in the face, asked him, seeing Peter and John about to, to go to the temple, asked, uh, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on her. And he gave heed unto them, he looked at them, expecting to receive something of them. So they said, look on us. He looks up, and that's expectation. See that as an example of the expectation we should have. The Lord is saying, look upon me. Seek it with me. Bring the case to my attention. Lay before my throne. Seek me. And maybe you don't have that expectation to receive something of him. We have so much expectation of people. There is some expectation of self. Do you have expectation of the Lord Jesus? How much expectation do we have? But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. No faith, as a wave of the sea up and down, that they may not think the Lord will hear him. The Lord wants expectation. He is glorified in people expecting things from him, not being worthy of it, but expecting it from such a good and gracious God we have prayed unto And then in verse 15 it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. I don't know exactly why this is turned in here. Let me just pay attention to that. If you love me, disciples, keep my commandments. Does he mean the commandment of praying? Probably. He's saying, if you love me, don't only sing about it, don't only talk about it, don't only feel something about it, but Respond to that with obedience, with keeping his commandments. 
So the Lord Jesus is telling the disciples that after he has left, after the day of Pentecost has come, that he will give many blessings, you should be thankful for them, and also live accordingly in the tender feet of the Lord. If you love me, keep my commandments. The Lord spoke these words, and the Lord told them not to show the love in mourning, but in obedience. Matthew Paul writes, True love must not evaporate in compliment. True love must not evaporate and just disappear itself in a compliment. But discover itself, reveal itself in a strict observance of the commandments of God. And I think of here of an expression of Wilhelm as a brakel in a letter to young friends, to young Christians. He writes, Pursue holiness more than comfort. Because comfort, that's something we like, something we are craving, something we need and pray for. I want to, have be, I want to be comforted by the Lord. But that is also easily selfish. Because it is for you, it's for your comfort, for your ease, for your happiness. But he says, it's more important to do things for his glory. Holiness. Young Christians, are young Christians here? Not so long on the road yet. Don't be so focused on your comfort all the time and your emotions and you feel something and are overwhelmed again. So hoping that the Lord will touch your heart again. Wait a moment. It's all understandable. But you need especially obedience. It is more important. If you love me, keep my commandments. expectation of the Lord. The Lord Jesus telling his disciples to have expectation of him. The expectation of the Lord Jesus. So again, summarizing, Lord Jesus on Thursday evening is talking to his disciples to the, to the eleven. He is telling them you'll have a hard time you will be well, greater things, and pray, and I will be with you to the end of the world and walk in obedience. Don't be so focused only on your comfort. And then the third place, the promise of the indwelling spirit. The disciples were encouraged to pray and the Lord Jesus told them that he is praying as well. And I will pray, he said. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Another one. What does it mean, another one? If, you, if your mother is, is pouring out something in a glass for you to drink, you say, I like another one. What do you mean? Two of them? This one and another one also? Just two drinks? What do you mean not this one but something else? Another drink? What does it mean here? I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. Another one? The second one? Or what? Yes. Another one. The Lord Jesus is the comforter already. He's asking for his church to also have an extra comforter. The Lord, the, the, the Holy Spirit. Well, pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That he might abide with you and in you. It's the third promise for the disciples. And he is called of 17, even this Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. 
not of lie, not of question marks, but for surety, the Holy Spirit of truth. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit does not lie. He brings people into, into contact with the true doctrine, right? More. Let me show you. From, from chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, then he, the Spirit of truth, similar, the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and the Spirit of truth is come to guide, to guide people in truth to bring the truth home. He shall not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit does not like to speak of himself. No. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine. The Lord Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore said I, he shall take of mine, and will show it unto you. Repeat it. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He is promised to the church. He will lead into the, into the truth. He will guide them. He will point to Christ, take things out of him, and show it unto you. You know what that means? Has the Holy Spirit shown you? Has he revealed to you who he is, who the Lord Jesus is? Because he doesn't tell himself as Pentecost. No, he is behind the curtain, so to speak. He's hiding. But he takes it out of him and brings it unto them. And he says, look, see, Enjoy, treasure, believe in him. It's, it's him. He is the Savior. I, I encourage you. He leads and he guides to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In that sense, is he the Spirit of truth. Now, this means that we really need that Spirit, right? Without that Spirit... It's all headwork. Believing is not the real thing without the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. See? So be by nature, they cannot know the work of God. They cannot know the Lord Jesus Christ. They need the Holy Spirit to take it out of him and bring it to our attention. Otherwise, it's all in vain. The Spirit of truth. That's kind of humbling, isn't it? It is. 1 Corinthians 2. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? Why does the natural man not receive the things of the Spirit? For their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He is, not, he is blind. He does not see it. Oh, is that Jesus? Is that true? Is that, is, that, is that his name? Is that his work? Is that his willingness? Oh, interesting. But it does not hit home. It is not in the heart. What do you think? Is repentance and believing a feeling or not? 
Some people say, there's no feeling. Really? So, is it possible to love someone without feelings? How do you do that? Do you have a boyfriend, girlfriend? You say, I love her, but I don't feel anything. Doesn't make any sense, right? So, that's also true for repentance and believing. It's not just a choice, a mental choice, it is something with the heart. The Holy Spirit works so that he guides, that he reveals the Lord Jesus to you. He makes room for the Savior in you. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And we read in Matthew 19, he said to them, all men cannot receive the saying, save they whom it is given. And John 10, but you believe not, why not? Why not? Because ye are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So are you following that shepherd? Are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you cherish him? But ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So the Lord Jesus, first evening, talking to his disciples, encouraging them in preparation for his death and crucifixion. He's saying, you know him. And he dwells with you and shall be in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is in you. Matthew Paul writes that knowing of him is believingly knowing him. And it is experientially knowing him. And it is affectionately knowing him. And it is savingly knowing him. It's the knowing of the Lord Jesus because he knows you. And the Holy Spirit makes room in the heart and guides you into, into him. He takes it out of him and brings it to you. You know you, that, that you are aware of that. There's not something that happens in dream. Not something that happens casually. No, this is Precious. This is the Holy Spirit working. What the closeness. The Lord Jesus saying to his disciples on this Thursday evening, there'll be greater things and pray and obey, and I promise I will be in you. I will guide you. And we will in, 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 guide you and be with you. Are the times not dark then? Also for them, I was thinking about Romans 11. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, did you not know? What the scriptures say of Elias, how he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and they down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. See? He was devastated. He, he said, such dark clouds of Israel, such a darkness. Maybe you see, the, see it too today. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself, to myself, 7,000 men. I have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal, 
Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So darkness, difficult circumstances, reasons to feel down for, I understand. But the Lord reigns. Greater things, we live in a special time, and we pray and we believe that the Lord has a people still. Also today, a remnant according to his, his, his election. So let us wrap it up and end. A few lines of application. Pray without ceasing. Seek to pray fervently. Have great expectation. Have great expectation of that God. Think of the new covenant. I will make them my people. Rejoice in him. You have reasons to feel blessed. We live in such a blessed time. There's darkness and there are very deep concerns also about the country, about authorities and about moral issues. Right. But this is the other side. His kingdom is coming. Give thanks unto him. And seek repentance. Seek to repent of your sins. If we may have this life, then we have peace. Peace with him. We're not so worried. If we may follow the Lord, have that expectation and that Holy Spirit in us, seek him and live. Amen.